my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Radio presents Podversations, a weekly discussion with the biggest names and influencers in podcasting. Want to learn the secret psych-up rituals Scrub star Zach Braff and Donald Faison use before every fake doctor's real friends taping? How Vice News parachutes into war zones to rescue journalists from life-threatening situations? Or why Keegan-Michael Key and Blumhouse believe 3D audio is the future of storytelling? Whether you're a newbie trying to break into the podcast game or an exec trying to refine your playbook, Podversations is the easiest way to keep your pulse on the industry. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Connell Byrne. I'm the president of the iHeart Podcast Network, the podcast division inside iHeart Media. This is a super special event for us. Trust me when I say it'll be well worth your time. Jake Brennan is a dear friend of mine. He is also one of the biggest podcast hosts and producers working today. There was a moment about a week ago where three of the top 10 music podcasts on both Apple Podcasts and the iHeartRadio app or Jake Brennan podcasts, either hosted by him or executive produced by him. So we really do get a special treat today to spend a half hour with Jake talking about his creative process, his home at iHeartMedia, and then what he has in store for the future. So Jake, uh, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us today, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Connell. I'm stoked to be here, man. Thanks so much. So what we'd like to do in this is 
flip to a lightning round real quick, just to grease the wheels a little bit and help people get to know you a little bit, Jake. So I think I have a good sense of some of the answers to these questions, but just for the sake of the audience, let's go through a couple other mediums and what you have, let's say on your desk every morning when you show up to work, uh, working, I assume remotely safely from your home outside Boston, what book are you reading right now? I just finished a book called Getting High with Oasis because I am researching the double Oasis episode that I'm about to finish writing. Nice. Uh, I don't know why I didn't need to ask that question. I expected something like that. What about TV? What are you binging in TV? We're all watching a ton more TV than ever, even before we went live. On this stream, you and I were talking about shows we're binging. What are you binging right now? Well, I'm currently kind of not watching television. I'm the only guy in America, me and my wife, I think. <laughs> During the quarantine, we've kind of pivoted and decided we're just going to binge 50s movies because it's a it's a hole in my sort of cultural bag. So we're, we're watching a lot of 50s movies right now uh, and a lot of Alfred Hitchcock. And some of the best have been Rear Window, North by Northwest, and some awesome Billy Wilder movies as well. That's awesome. You talk about a guy in Hitchcock reinventing a medium or at least setting the rules of the road of the medium for many decades to come. Uh, he's pretty much one of the best. Now, what about podcasts? Let's do this objectively and fairly. Why don't you name a podcast you like that you're listening to or have really noted inside the iHeart Podcast Network, one of your colleagues, and outside the iHeart Podcast Network? What's some podcasts you like and recommend? Well, I got to give it up to Aaron Mankey and anything he touches. He definitely helped pave the road and, and showed me a blueprint to follow. So the, the new shows that he's done, particularly Noble Blood that he executive produces that is hosted by somebody else is fantastic. Obviously, Ron Burgundy. I think the whole concept of taking an actual existing character from such a, a amazing piece of intellectual property and bringing it into this medium is truly special and truly hysterical. Um, those are both iHeart shows. Outside of iHeart, you know, there's a show that I really love that's so good and groundbreaking by the BBC that I don't even like telling people about it because I'm so <laughs> competitive. <laughs> um, it's called Have You Heard George's Podcast? And it's incredible. And just check that out. It's great. That's cool. Let's talk about your beginnings a little bit. You didn't start out as a podcaster. It's interesting as you talk about some of these other guys you were rattling off there from Aaron Mankey to Will Ferrell, they didn't start out as podcasters either. And, and you didn't either. You started out as a musician uh, working in and around Boston. Talk about those beginnings and, and how I imagine what started out as a passion with drive and momentum turned into a slog and a hard life. But walk us through that. What were those beginnings creatively for you? Sure. I grew up in music and I started in the DIY punk and hardcore scene and then, you know, very quickly had a record deal. I was lucky to have a record deal with my band and able to tour and make a living at a young age. As I got a little older and had a family, that became a lot more difficult, especially as my musical tastes changed. I started playing indie music. But the one lesson I learned from being in punk and hardcore bands growing up was that you know, in the DIY world, you use your limitations as strengths and you figure out how to get it done. And I had to apply that when I sat down and decided I wanted to make a podcast. I had literally zero experience writing, producing any of it. And I had to just roll up my sleeves and figure it out. And without having that sort of background of coming from the hardcore scene, 
I don't think I would have been able to, to get it done. It's interesting as you hear about people jumping into mediums these, these days, what you just said to me echoed, I heard Billie Eilish and Phineas talk about how they got into music. And mm -hmm. similarly, Phineas talks openly about, he's like, look, I didn't know how to produce a single note on a single music program or software. I had to learn by practicing and by doing. And I think that's where sometimes you get the most creative stuff. As you moved from punk rock medium into a podcasting medium, what was different about the creative process? What was different about the listeners and the fans? Were there any similarities actually, before we go into what was different between a punk rock club and a podcast fan base? Some of the, the similarities were, the, you know, the approach that I took to writing songs was very similar to the approach that I took to writing my podcast scripts for Disgraceland. And I kind of expected that going into it. What I didn't expect were the differences in the audience. You know, music fans are super passionate. It's no secret. But music, you know, playing rock and roll, playing punk music, hardcore music, metal music, whatever music, it's been done over and over and over and over again for years. There's nothing new there. This is a brand new medium and it inspires a different type of passion in the people who have adopted it. It inspires a different level of engagement, one that I was not ready for when it happened and when I started to develop an audience. But I'm clearly thankful for it. Yeah, it's interesting. We have a 300 plus podcast in the iHeart Podcast Network, and I hear that comment a lot. Chuck Bryant, who's the co-host of uh, Stuff You Should Know, mentions that a lot, that there was a moment six or seven years ago where the super fan base or super high engagement nature of podcast listeners just sort of really struck him. That what you're building is not just a mass audience of listeners, you're building a mass audience of people who think of you as their friend and companion. We talk about that a lot in broadcast radio, actually, on iHeart's other side of their business, where people listening to the radio DJs often develop a relationship that's way beyond just audience creator and more companion. And I think that that's true in podcasting, too. That really comes to life in live touring when you get to sit in front of an actual live audience of your fans and realize it's more than just content creator audience. You've really built a very authentic, deep relationship with those guys. You've also moved though, like, so you went from punk rock into Disgraceland, but then you joined the iHeart Podcast Network and essentially what we wanted to give you, and I think what we've, what we've established with you is an office on the lot inside our network to let you run and gun and be as creative as you can. And frankly, we got to keep up with you a lot of the time. What that means is you've moved from a host to an executive producer of a slate of podcasts where you're actually finding and curating and helping develop. Why did you want to do that? Why didn't you want to just say, I'll just host Disgraceland for the rest of my life and I'll be happy. You had sort of bigger aspirations. What drove that? Well, I think as a creative person, I'm always trying to express myself in different ways and Disgraceland is my baby and always will be but it's a very specific piece of content for a specific audience that it's developed and aside from that I was being approached by other creatives with incredible stories from incredible backgrounds that I thought frankly with the help of iHeart I could help tell and help get out into the world and it became very motivating and compelling and thankfully with iHeart's help we've done that and a couple of those shows taken off immediately 
Dear Young Rocker, a show which is one of the shows that came out of the iHeart lot under Double Elvis's production with me executive producing, developed an audience very quickly and it's become a sort of contested piece of intellectual property in Hollywood and it has a pretty bright future even beyond the podcast, which is awesome. Can you walk through that a little bit? What's Dear Young Rocker about? How did the story hit your radar and what's the show about? We were turned on to this young woman here in Boston who is also a musician like myself from the punk scene who who had written this sort of coming of age memoir that she was documenting in audio format. And the cool thing, of I thought that the creative device was really interesting and compelling. She was writing letters as a 29 year old woman back to her 16 year old self, sort of talking her through the challenges of her teenage years when at a time it felt like the only thing that spoke to her was music and that the only way she could communicate to anyone else was through music. And her name's Chelsea Urson and it was very clear to, to us super early that she had it going on completely. She could write, she could voice, and she could produce. And the story was, I thought, one that could easily find an audience and it did. It was pretty cool. I think what podcasting gets labeled a lot in a good way is that it is authentic, it is genuine, it is very raw. And I think what Dear Young Rocker immediately resonated with us too when you brought that in was, this is that on a whole nother level. The teenage girl in and around the 80s and her sending audio journal letters back is just a phenomenal idea. How has that process been for you to sort of help develop those kinds of shows creatively? Do you let creators run and gun or do you try to get in the weeds and, and shape things uh, minute by minute? H how does that work? I'm way out of the weeds. I try to let the creatives be themselves sort of, you know, in the same way, honestly, the way that you guys have let me be myself. You know, I mean, I try to be there to answer questions and provide resources when I can with, you know, technological things that, or engineering that needs to be addressed or helping with branding and those sorts of things. But, the, you know, we try really hard to partner with creatives that we believe in firmly, have a vision and the tools, the chops to pull it off. And we're there to support and help them when they need it. Podcasting has become this hotbed of IP for other mediums now. It's funny, you're coming from punk rock and now evolving into an executive producer of a whole slate of shows, music-driven shows mostly, at mm -hmm. iHeart. Um, and now those shows are being uh, picked off by Hollywood, TV and film. They're turning into live tours. They're turning into books. I have a copy of the Disgraceland book that you sent me that sits <laughs> on my mantle. This is no surprise to me. I think in a medium where you have such creative freedom, you're going to make really good IP. And Hollywood is going to come knocking and pick that off. You, you are one of the leaders in this, actually. I know you have a bunch of projects in development, some of them with us in Hollywood. Can you just talk about that process for a second of taking podcast IP and developing it for TV and film? I think from the Hollywood perspective, they're coming at podcasting. You know, it's almost like this for them, a, a built-in sort of development ecosystem where they can look at intellectual property that's already developed an audience. And frankly, like some of our shows, Connell, have bigger audiences than some of the shows on cable television, if you look at what's being watched on an episode-to-episode -episode basis. So it makes a lot of sense. I've never written anything with the intention of getting it on television because it's a totally different medium. And I think when the time comes, 
like Disgraceland has signed the, our option to CBS and their network and not just CBS television, but Showtime, the whole thing, we're going to figure out where it gets made. And, and frankly, Dear Young Rocker, we're not to get out too far ahead of it, but there's been serious interest and we're close to announcing something uh, with a studio in Hollywood to turn that into a show as well. And we've got interest from people in Hollywood right now for shows that we're haven't even produced yet that we're developing because they believe in what we've done so far. So it's it's really exciting. And I, but I think it goes back to what you hit on at the top of this conversation. It's it's really about the audience and the engagement of the audience. And I think that's what Hollywood sees. They know they can create something that's going to bring people in and hopefully hold their attention, just like the podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure, I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic, oracle.com slash strategic. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. 
Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Yeah, so let's get into the details a little bit because a lot of the folks who've tuned in today come from ad agencies or brands themselves. And even the basic 101 of how podcast advertising works, I think would be helpful and also kind of interesting. Podcasts are a unique medium. The engagement of fans that you've heard Jake and I talk about for a few minutes here is unique in podcasting. To put that in brass tacks, podcasts usually have completion rates on the iHeart Podcast Network of 80-90%. So 80 or 90% of a 30-minute episode is actually getting listened to. That is rare for a medium. The second thing is podcasts have one of the lowest ad skippage rates in all of media, period. We're down around 10 to 15% of people skip ads. I'm sure you can attest to this, Jake. Like That's pretty phenomenal for a medium where it's pretty easy to skip an ad. You just have people who don't do it. And part of the reason for that is I think it's a deeply integrated ad product. The -the off-the-shelf product that, Jake, you've done a ton of these, is a host-read ad. So let's start there. What is your process with brands when you publish Disgraceland in, in seasons? So every season is somewhere between 10 and 12 episodes. Episodes are, let's say, 20 to 30 minutes long, sometimes a little longer. And they have an ad load of somewhere between three and four ad breaks, depending on the length of the episode. Inside each of those ad breaks, we can dynamically insert ads. So again, some of this is basic for Jake and I, because this is our bread and butter. But I want to make sure that folks listening in understand how easy it is to get deeply integrated into an episode. So Jake, how does the process of you doing a host red ad work? I get hit up by iHeart. Do I want to work with this brand? And for me, it's not hard to make a connection to the brands that are presented to me. And what I think about first is, is this going to be something that I can speak about honestly and come from from a point of authenticity, which is what my audience expects. And from there, it's the copies delivered and it's sort of reshaped into my voice by myself. And oftentimes brands are totally willing more often than not to let me figure out as long as the CTAs are in place and whatever information absolutely needs to be expressed is expressed. They're totally down with me figuring out how to actually voice this and put the copy forth in a way that is going to resonate how I believe it's going to resonate with my listeners. And I just want to note that, you know, when I record these ads, I produce them as efficiently and professionally as I produce the podcast. I mean, there's music that I put to them. I take care and actually making sure the vocal sounds right. And, you know, it's something that as a podcast listener, when I'm listening to a podcast host go to break, I usually want to know so much about that podcast host that I just want to hear what he's talking about no matter what. That's why I don't skip ahead. And I feel like that is a similar thing that I have with my audience as well. Now, that's the -the off-the-shelf product in podcasting, which is already pretty awesome. You get some of the best storytellers in the world, I think, like yourself, taking your brand's message, turning it into, let's say, a 30-second ad, and we dynamically insert that and can refresh it at whatever cadence the brand really wants across their campaign. We dynamically insert those host-read ads into ad breaks. But I also want to note how much more we can do for a brand. So 
Let's talk about a show that you've had in mind for a while called The Sound of Our Town, a show that's kind of a different way to do travel content that I know is a little tricky right now. So we've kind of, we've put it on hold and are, and are still developing it, but how we might be able to do that and build it from the ground up with a brand that is focused on destinations or travel, or however that may overlap. First of all, what is that show about? And then talk about ways that you've thought about integrating brands into that show from the ground up. The easiest way to explain Sound of Our Town is it's Anthony Bourdain for podcasting. It's music instead of food. It's a trusted host that we know, indie musician named Will Daly, traveling from city to city. And it's really a utility. It's how you get into this city through its music what clubs you should go to, what bars you should go to, what restaurants you should go to, and what the history is of those venues and those locations relevant to the music that came up in that town. It sprung from my own desire to have a utility that I could call upon when I'm traveling in a city that I don't know. And if I'm in Detroit, it's like, well, where do the guys from Motown hang out? If I'm in Memphis, it's, you know, where do the guys from Sax get barbecue. You know, if I'm in Nashville, it's like, you know, where's the greatest place to get a cocktail? Where would Porter Wagoner get a cocktail? Where would Johnny Cash go to buy his boots? Those sorts of things. So that's the idea for the show. And obviously it lends itself very nicely to a number of different, not only brands, but different categories of brands that could sponsor it. Everything from travel brands to beverage brands to, you know, yeah. tourism brands. So we started with early on with conversations about that show. We've been a little interrupted by the quarantine, but we're still developing it and gearing up to hit go. Yeah, I just thought that was a really cool example of, yeah, we can start in podcasting with the host red ad offering for brands, which is already amazing and sort of like no other but there is this for lack of better word custom content version too like sound of our town so you're right whether it's a travel website that powers how that host gets from a to b or a credit card company that actually funds the trip from a to b or the gear that he uses to listen to or record content the integrations are awesome in a show like sound of our town so i thought it was a pretty good example to highlight that um, in just a second, I'm going to close out and flip over to some questions because we're getting a ton. I think there's a lot of interest in your creative process, Jake, and just sort of how you work and, and, and how much work it takes to put out the high quality that you do put out. But let's talk first just for one more second. Is there a good example that you have in your head of a brand you've worked with that you were like, wow, I really enjoyed doing that? particular campaign, again, just to give people who are listening some really tactical 101 takeaways. Sure. A great one was bluechew.com that creates performance supplements. And I was able to really look at how they're marketing themselves and messaging that they were creating and relate it to the legendary performances of musicians. So it was, okay, if you want to perform like Bruce Springsteen on stage, you need to go to bluetooth.com to get whatever performance supplements that you need. And I was able to craft a whole piece of copy around that that worked and was very super relative to Disgraceland. Nice. And I'm going to ask you a couple questions that are on the chat right now. First one I'll grab actually is what are our targeting capabilities? 
the good news about podcasting is we have a very big podcast network that you sit inside, Jake, the iHeart Podcast Network. We have about 200 million downloads a month. It puts us neck and neck with NPR as the biggest podcast network in the United States by sheer scale. That means we can audience and geo-target if that's important to a brand. So I would think about it as, yes, the shows that, Jake, you make are sort of national podcasts, but we also have, for folks who are listening in, if certain geo-territories of the country are more important to you or only important to you, we can definitely prioritize those and market just to those geo-territories. If certain audience segments or cohorts are only important to you, we can do that. We can do that because we have scale. A lot of other podcast networks don't, and so it's not an option. Let me ask you a creative question that I just saw in the chat. How much work does it take to make Disgraceland? How much research and effort goes into a single episode? You talked about reading the Oasis book, which I'm sure is a thrill, but that's actually a ton of work to develop what's ultimately going to be a handful, maybe, of episodes. What's that like? The research is endless, and I really don't have a way of quantifying it. I'm constantly reading and watching documentaries, reading books, autobiographies, biographies, and listening to music, which is the real fun part, and getting to hear these artists that I know very well in a new way because I'm writing about them now. So the research happens, and then I have a team of about seven people who work. I do all the writing. I have an assistant writer, and I have an editor who works with me an engineer, someone who helps on the music, that all happens for one episode within a two-week window from when I start writing to when we finish producing and mixing the episode. And one more question back on brands and advertisers that would be good for you. You talked about things that resonate with you. I think in your case, you actually have, like as we talked through that example of Sound of Our Town, one of those ideas that's in your head to produce, you actually have a lot of sort of Venn diagram brands that overlap with you and your audience in different ways. Some of it is obviously music, music gear, music headphones. But as you see, like, actually, I think you can move your content into different categories if and when it makes sense for a brand. Can you talk about your flexibility there? How flexible are you with brands to talk about whole new genres and categories if they want to? Super flexible. I think autos for brands, brands, uh, alcohol, Harley Davidson. I mean, can I mention specific ones? I don't know. I mean, there's a lot that are relevant to the Disgraceland audience. Harley for one, Harley Davidson, Jack Daniels, Volkswagen. These are just some of the things that I know my listeners are buying already or interested in buying. And I think the Disgraceland audience is, is pretty vast. And I'm sure you and the folks at iHeart could speak more specifically about the demographic makeup. But I know there's a lot of different age groups and there's a lot of different interests there. Got it. So we have about two minutes left. I'll take one question and then I'll throw the last one to you. One question is just sort of basically how are podcasts distributed? Podcasts at the iHeart Network have a unique distribution mechanism that no other network really has. We distribute every single episode of every show we make, including all of Jake's, on every single platform where you can listen to podcasts. We do not exclusively window content on, say, the iHeart Radio app. We distribute it on any app where you want to listen to it. The good thing for you guys as brands is your brand's message carries through with wherever we distribute those shows. We also distribute a lot of podcast content across the 850-plus broadcast radio stations that iHeart owns and controls across the United States. 
I remember, Jake, when you first joined our network, one of the big shots in the arm that I feel like we gave the Disgraceland audience was to world premiere the new season of Disgraceland on hundreds of broadcast radio stations. And that was a really interesting audience to put this in front of. From talk radio all the way through to classic rock, which is a, one of our formats at iHeart, those guys were suddenly exposed to super cool content that you were creating. Uh, the last question, and then we'll close out, uh, is kind of a fun one. Someone writes in, I've read many of the books behind you, Jake, <laughs> and I just ordered Disgraceland. What is your favorite music biography that you've ever read? That's a good one. My favorite music autobiography, I think, is Keith Richards' life. His book, told in his voice as only he can. But if I had to go of something that wasn't an autobiography, I would say Please Kill Me by Legs McNeil, which is a oral history of the coming of punk rock, which is incredible. And frankly, without that book, I probably never would have had the idea to start Disgraceland. Awesome. Well, listen, thank you so much for giving us a half hour of your time. Everyone who showed up and listened in, I super appreciate it. Jake, I think you've done a lot for podcasting, but also just educating brands about how they can partner with us in podcasts and how the time to jump in is now. So I really appreciate it. Stay well, stay safe. And everybody, thanks for joining today. Podversations is a production of iHeartRadio. You can find more from the biggest names in podcasting on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.